All right, go ahead and open up your Bibles. I hope you brought them with you to Haggai uh, chapter 1. If, if that caused you some sweat and anxiety, um, go to Matthew and turn a couple pages to the left, and you're going to bump into it, all right? Haggai uh, chapter 1. Uh, last week, we kind of gave a challenge uh, to read, listen, and respond. That We said, hey, we're going to dive into Haggai together. We're going to spend some time there. We're going to read together uh, and just really challenge you to kind of get into the book throughout the week. And so uh, how was Haggai? Uh, for you this week. Did you get into it? Did you spend some time there? I'm just going to take that as a yes. Um, uh, The the greatness of Haggai is that it's two chapters. And when there's a a minimal amount of words, that means that we get to spend a maximum amount of time just kind of delving into what's there. And we get to chew on it and process it. Uh, And so uh, that's still going to be the challenge for the rest of this month. We've got uh, a month in Haggai. So this is week two. So two more weeks after this. And so let's just keep diving in and just sitting in it and soaking in it and seeing what God has for us. Um, We also threw out a Spotify playlist uh, as we uh, just kind of spend some time. Anybody jump on that and like uh, listen to it? That's cool, right? Uh, There's some cool stuff on there that Tony threw in there for us. Um, So uh, make sure you find that if you haven't already uh, found that uh, and sit and soak with the Lord on that too. So let's pray and we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, for a group of brothers and sisters in Christ that we get to spend time with and for uh, friends from the community that um, are also on a journey of trying to figure out uh, who you are and how to trust you best and if they can trust you. Uh, Father, we want this morning to be what you have for us and every one of us is in a different journey right now. And so where we are, meet us there. Uh, Challenge us, encourage us. And as we uh, spend uh, some time looking at your word this morning, Father, I pray that it would be convicting for us um, as well as it's encouraging to us. I pray it would be a call for us to respond uh, to you and how you move in our life. Uh, So take this morning. um, We're available uh, to be led by you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys know there are uh, 240 million calls that go to the 911 emergency system every single year. 240 million calls. That's a a little over 600,000 each day that are people are calling and saying, I've got an emergency. Anybody ever have to have to call 911 in in the room? Boy, it's it's a scary day, isn't it? When when you have to call that for yourself or or for somebody else, because usually the scenario around that is is not uh, very, very favorable to any degree. Here's the deal with 911 when we have to push those numbers. You find yourself or somebody else in, in, in an emergency and you, you call that number and there's a dispatcher there to receive the call and that dispatcher sends it to a local group of first responders, brave men and women who are willing to go put their life on the line or willing to jump in to help you in your midst of your emergency. Um, if there are any uh, EMS folks in the room or first responders or, or police officers, Man, praise God uh, for you because you are you're just out there and you're available when, when we need you uh, the most. And so we're just super thankful for you. But the job of an EMS or a first responder or a police officer is, is to get there and to respond to the call. Like their job is to show up. They are there to respond. That's what they do, right? Now, can you imagine if you were to call 911 and you were in the middle of an emergency and you were expecting somebody to respond to that call, but nobody shows up? I mean, it'd be a terrible day, right? It'd be an absolutely terrible day. 911 works because people respond when they're called. Now, when we think about the book of Haggai, 
we have to think about this being in a, a book as, as an emergency call with people who need to respond. That the book of Haggai, is, it's an emergency call calling people to respond here. Now, if you weren't with us last week, we started uh, our series in Haggai, and we learned that Haggai is calling us to keep the main thing the main thing, right? We said Haggai is keeping, telling us to keep the main thing the what? The main thing. Yeah, all right, let's wake up. All right, this is second service. You guys got your caffeine. Let's roll. Uh, Haggai is telling us to keep the main thing the main thing. And so what we learned last week is that Solomon, King Solomon, had built this amazing temple. And I mean, it was glorious. So the people of Israel come and worship, and there were also people who would just come from all around to see this beautiful thing. But when Solomon dies, like it feels like the spirit of the community just was sucked out of the place because people stopped following God. They started following idols and worshiping other idols. They could care less about God. And what God does, he says, stop, 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 stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. And yet people didn't respond to that. And so he allows the Babylonians to come in and completely ransack Israel. And then the worst thing that could have happened to them was that the temple was destroyed. And so the thing that, that was holding them together spiritually was completely ripped out of the place. And so that's gone their uh, idealism of who they are as a people is gone. And so for 70 years, Babylon is just ransacking and having Israel captive. For 70 years, all they could think about was, was going home. And then the Babylonians get replaced by the Persians. The Persians run things a little bit differently. And so 50,000 refugees who have been taken out of Jerusalem are now allowed to go back into the city to begin to establish their life again. And this is all they could dream about. And so they go back into the city. They start building and they're building and everything is going great. They're high-fiving one another. The, the foundation of the temple, it's been replaced. It's been rebuilt. Everything is going fantastically until it doesn't. There's a fight that shows up. Their neighbors, their Samaritans, they come in and they try to frustrate the work that they're doing and everything that they've been successful in has now come to a halt and they've got a decision to make. Are we going to continue to move forward with what God has called us to or are we just going to stop what God, are we going to stop the work that we've been doing? Now remember, 70 years, all they could think about was doing was rebuilding this place. And then when opposition shows up, they just stop. And what happens is for 16 years, they stopped doing the work that God had called them to do. And instead of doing the work that God had called them to do, you guys know from last week what they did. They started building their own little lives. They started building themselves up. Uh, what Haggai said is they built their, their paneled houses. That became the focus of their life. And now Haggai shows up out of nowhere, and he, and he just starts pressing, 911, 911. We have an emergency call here. God is on the line, and he's saying this isn't going very well. There's an emergency here. Something's got to change. Somebody's got to respond. And, and so I want to set the broad context uh, of, of the morning for us. Do you guys remember what Jesus says in the book of Matthew to his disciples and to the people who were standing around? In Matthew 6, uh, 33, he, he tells them, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things that you're talking about, that you're interested in, all these things are going to come as well but seek first the kingdom of God. And so to his disciples and to the people who are standing around in the moment, he says, this is a first priority for you. Whatever else you do in your life, this is to be the main thing. And don't forget to keep the main thing the main thing. The priority was the kingdom, his focus. His focus was the kingdom and the disciples of Jesus was to be, they were to be focused on the kingdom. Do you remember what happens 
In Revelation chapter 2, what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, here's what he says. I have this against you. You have forgotten, or better term would be you have abandoned your first love, the love that you had at first. You've forgotten what was most important. In other words, you've forgotten to keep the kingdom first, to seek the kingdom first. The main thing stopped being the main thing in your life. And so this is the same thing that Haggai is saying years earlier in front of the people of Judah. There's an emergency going on here. You want to be satisfied and fulfilled, but you've forgotten the first love. You've forgotten what you've been called to. You've forgotten what truly satisfies. Trinkets and toys, those aren't going to satisfy. Jobs and money, they're nice, but they're not going to satisfy. Sex and success, those are nice, but they're not going to satisfy. They won't do what you desire for them to do. Do they fill out your life and add some excitement and joy in the appropriate context? Absolutely, they do. But they're never going to satisfy the desire that you have in your life that was given to you by the one who gave you the desire. Only God himself can fill that. No one or nothing else can. And so here's Haggai. He's saying, we have an emergency here. There's a problem. Is anybody going to answer the call and respond to the problem? And so let's read Haggai chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, and the people, and, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the rim of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Look at verse 12 here. And I'll make some observations here. One of the things that we need to remember when we come to the text is that we're not coming to the text with blind eyes, right? We're coming to the text to learn. We're coming to the text to hear what God has for us so that we can respond in a way that he wants us to respond. And so when we come, we make observations. That's one of the first things when we, that we do when we start reading the text. And so I've made a few observations, but I want you to look at the text and make a few observations of yourself. And so you can write down some things that I've observed here, or you can write down some of the things that you read uh, when we're going through this. But a, a few things uh, stood out to me from verse 12. And uh, I feel like you can draw a line between verse 11 and 12 and just to kind of separate the two, because there's a significant change of heart that, that takes place from these first 11 verses of where um, there's this huge call and said, this, like you haven't been going up to the hills and to the mountains and, and bringing down the wood. There's this huge issue that's going on. And then when you get to verse 12, it feels like just something shifts. It feels like something's changing. I don't know if you've ever been in scenarios in your life where just all of a sudden you realize, man, so, I don't know what just happened, but something happened. Like something's different right now and like things are going in the right direction. Things are kind of moving along and I can't really put my finger on it, but I just know something is different. It's usually in those moments where God is at work and sometimes you're just kind of along for the ride. It feels like in verse 11 to 12 that there's this shift and we can't yet put our finger on it, but something is at work. Something's changing because just a few minutes ago, 
Haggai is saying, guys, you planted and you worked and you keep building your own little things, your own paneled houses. And what's that gotten you? You're tired. You're frustrated. You're stressed out. You, you never seem to be satisfied. And it still feels like you never have enough of what you want or what you actually need. And here's why that is. God did it. You mean God kept me frustrated? Yeah, God did that. You know, God let me not be satisfied? Yeah, God did that. That's what I'm saying. God did that because he's never going to let you be satisfied by things that are lesser than what he has designed for you. He's never going to let you be satisfied with that. And God does that. And so what he says is go up to the mountain, bring down the lumber, and build the house. Do what God had said. And so from verse 11 to 12, there's this shift. And there's some change there. It really feels like people are changing. And let me tell you, and as a pastor, one of the, the greatest pleasures that I have is when somebody hears something that you say, and, and, and by the Holy Spirit of God, they begin to respond to something that's been said when you're pointing them to, to Christ or when you're pointing them into making some changes. And by the Holy Spirit of God, when he does that in their life, I mean, there's nothing greater uh, as, as a pastor. It's one of the best feelings. And one of the reasons why it's one of the best feelings, if I'm just being honest, is because it doesn't happen very often. You give a lot of counsel as a pastor. Not everybody follows your counsel. Maybe sometimes it's bad counsel. Every once in a while, there's a nugget in there that you can hold on to. But when people follow along, man, that's just, it's just heartwarming. And Haggai shows up with this message, and he knows the history of the prophets, right? He's coming as, as a prophet. He's coming as a pastor. He's coming as a speaker to deliver a message to them. But he knows the history of the prophets, the prophets up to this point have not been received very well by Israel or by Judah. Every time somebody shows up and they say, hey, this is a message from God, and it's usually like a rebuke, and they, they either beat up the prophet, they don't listen to the prophet, they just act like he's not even there. How futile would that feel to go as a prophet and nobody ever responds to anything that you have to, anything that you have to say? But for Haggai, this time, it just feels a little bit different because first, the leaders respond. Zerubbabel and, and Joshua, who are like the, the governor and the high priest here, they hear the message, and then something changes within their hearts. And so you have the government leadership changing in Judah and throughout Jerusalem. You have a little bit of the spiritual leadership beginning to make some heart changes. And then right after that, you see that all the remnant, he says the remnant, the 50,000 people who came back to live in Jerusalem, now they're making some heart changes too. And so you've got the leadership that's changing, you've got the people of the community that are changing, but what's happening here? I and mean, what do we need to know? Because is this something that we can replicate in our day and age right now, I mean, like where people are responding to God? Well, circle the words there, obey and fear in your Bibles or you're highlighting something. Obey and fear. Because we read that they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, Haggai the prophet. But what did they obey? They've been saying up to this point in those first 11 verses, the time hasn't come. Well, the time hasn't come for what? The time hasn't come for us to build the house of the Lord. The time hasn't come for us to focus on something other than ourselves, to focus on, on God. And God is over here saying, no, no, the time is come. The time has come. Like, no, the time hasn't come. In other words, what they're saying is, I've got better things to do. I've got better things to think about. And God is like, no, no, no. Now is the time. So go up, even if it's not easy, even if it's inconvenient for you, go up, get the wood, bring it down, and start building my house. And you know what happened this time? It did. 
<laughs> they did what God had told them to do. They obeyed God by the voice of Haggai. And Haggai's got to be standing there like, what? I didn't see that coming. I didn't see it coming at all because that's not been the history up to this point. And so he's surprised, but I feel like we've got to think a little bit deeper about what obedience here means. For 16 years, all they had been doing was stiff-arming God. It's just getting really good at the Heisman pose. You guys ever get good at the Heisman pose? Just like kind of stiff-arming God? Like God's like, hey, I need you to do it. Like, nope. Hey, I need you to, nope. And like we just kind of focus on our, my whole life has been a struggle of not trying to stiff-arm what God is calling me to. But for the first 18 years of my life before I trusted Christ, my whole life was stiff-arming God. Hey, I need you over here. Nope. I need you to stop. Nope. I need you to, no. Anybody get real good at the stiff-arm with God? And this was the people of Judah. They'd been really good over the years at stiff-arming God, living like their way was better. Living like their way was better. And honestly, though, they'd come by it pretty naturally because this is the same thing that their great-great-great-great-grandma and grandpa Adam and Eve had done. Like, there's the same thing. Years before, God had said, hey, this is the best way for you to live. And they actually like, ah, eh, I don't know that it is. I mean, I've got some pretty good ideas on how, I, I think maybe you might be holding back on me and keeping something really good from me. And so instead of going about it your way, I think I'm going to figure out how to do this my way. And they end up eating something that God said, this is not for you. I've got a lot of stuff here for you, but that isn't for you. And so this is the same blood that's running through the veins of Judah. It's the same blood that runs through our veins as well. This was the same thing. Judah had lived like like they knew better than God for so long. And God was saying, listen, though, is it really? Like, do you really know better than me? I mean, do you really? Because my way really is better. But here's the deal. Unless you're really convinced that, an, so, that another way is better than your way, you're not going to be convinced to give up. You're, like, you really have to know that somebody else has got a better way of doing something than, than you do. I mean, how many times have we kind of been in that scenario where somebody's like, hey, you know, that's really not going to be good for you. That's not going to go well for you. And you're like, it didn't go well for them. But you haven't seen how I'm about to do this thing, right? Like, I've got a new way of doing the wrong thing. I can do a wrong thing better than they did the wrong thing. Do you hear the, the nonsense of that? I mean, that's not going to go, yeah, but I can figure out how to make it go, go well. So when Haggai says that they obeyed, they were coming to grips with that God's way really was better than, than their way. And that's not an easy thing for anyone to do. It's not an easy thing for any of us to do, to say, you know what, your way is better than my way. Because I've counseled all kinds of couples and individuals in my life, and, there, and there's nothing better than somebody who's been wrestling with, with God. They've been struggling with an addiction. They've been struggling with some type of a sin. They, they've been struggling with some level uh, of pride. And then somewhere in the middle of that struggle and your time with them, they just get to the point where they just say, you know what? After all these years, all these years of running and stiff arming, I really think I'm getting to the point where I, I, I might believe that God's way is better than my way. That's a, that's a big deal. I'm finally getting to the point where I think that, that God's way is better than, than, than my way. And if you've ever had one of those aha moments in your life and you've kind of been in that camp where you're just kind of running away from God. He's like, hey, I, want, I need you to, and you're like, no, I don't think so. You, you know what that feels like to finally become awake, to, to begin to answer and respond to the call that God calls you to. And so obedience for them 
It was actually repentance. And repentance is this idea of, of turning away from something in order to turn towards something else. And so when God finally gets your heart and you wake up to that, like, oh, your way is better, and so I'm not going to go that way anymore because that's the end that I've been going to. I want to go this way. Turn me around and let me see what you see. This was a turning away from their own way or from their own sin and turning to God's way, saying, your way is better. How many of us walk, listen to me, how many of us walk away around frustrated with ourselves or maybe even frustrated with God because we keep hitting the same wall over and over and over again? And we're like, God, where are you? Why? Like, why are you showing up? Why are you so mean to me? All the while, God just standing over here, like, man, I cannot wait for you to turn and see that I'm standing right here with you. For you to hit this roadblock and then turn around to repent and then start chasing after me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. But here's the deal. They're not just changing behavior. The, the point of this passage, or it's pointing out that, that we're, they were completely reorienting their lives around the character of God. There's a huge word that we haven't looked at yet in, in verse 12. It's this word fear. So go ahead. If you haven't underlined it or circled it, underline fear. And, and he says, the people feared the Lord. The Hebrew word fear, we don't really have a good English equivalent for it. Um, it it's, it's a little bit different. It grabs a couple different ideas. When we hear the word fear, we think about, you know, getting in trouble. We run around, we hunker down in terror. Like if your dad is, you know, you got in trouble and he's coming across the room and you're about to get a spank or something, you run completely to the other side of the house and you're cowered down in fear. Like, no, don't get me. That's not the idea of fear here. It's not an idea of terror. It, it grabs the, 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 the emotions and the idea of affection and worship of our hearts and those things being changed. And the change isn't something that's wrapped around our emotional response. Um, it's not like we hear a song and we have an emotional uh, affection towards that song and we conjure up some tears or, or just that we get excited about it or, or even like we have a really good speaker who just really is able to motivate us or move us into action, that that's not the emotional appeal here that's happening. Because we can listen to these things and we can be moved for a few minutes. There was actually um, a, a great deal of revival throughout history um, that stirred the hearts and emotions of people and that really seemed to make an impact, only to find out later after the dust settled and the tents went home and the revivalist pastors left and all the emotion was gone, that there wasn't really that much of a change that had taken place. Because emotion isn't what drives belief. Emotion doesn't usually lead us to, sometimes it does, but it doesn't always. The change that's happening here. It's a categorical change. It's completely different. This change of heart, it gets driven by having an accurate view of who God is. It's not about emotion. It's about understanding the character and the quality of God. Fear here is a response to realizing the awesome holiness and power of God, to see God for who He is, to see God in all of His glory and us being changed by who He is. Do you remember this, the, the, the story of Isaiah in Isaiah 6 when he goes into the temple and he is just in awe of God? He walks into the throne room and he sees God. He's like, holy smokes, there is something different here. Like, he is God and I am clearly not him. And if that is God and I am not him, then I need to follow his ways. Because here's what Isaiah says. He says, I said, woe is me. 
for I am lost or, or I am undone, maybe you have there in your text. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He stands before the presence of God, and he sees him in all of his glory for who he is. He sees himself for who he is, and there's no comparison between the two. And when you realize that you're not God and he is God, it puts you in a different place to say, you know what? What he says is what's going to go. If he says obey, I'm going to obey. If he says, come along, I'm going I'm to come along. It's when we see God for who he really is, it should do something to us. There should be a change that takes place. It should drive us to our knees to say like Isaiah, man, I am undone before you, God. And that leads us to a place of obedience. And it takes us to a place of repentance. And it takes us to a place of confession. To be able to say that your way is better than my way is not something that's comfortable for us. And for all of my life, that's never been something that, that's been easy to say, okay, God, I'm going to lay my life out before you, and I'm just going to say, this, this is who I am. And you know who I am, but just to lay this out there before you and to say, man, like, do something in me, help me turn away from this, that, that's, that's always been uh, hard. And, and so if the conversation lands around this idea of this book can be an emergency call with the need for us to respond here, how, what should our response be to this particular section of the text? First, we see that, that leaders are changing, right? The leaders are responding with obedience, and then the people are responding with obedience. And we see that from verse 11 to verse 12, there seems to be this fresh start that's being offered and that they're being invited into. Um, I don't know if you've ever read anything by Paul David Tripp, but I, I love Paul David Tripp. And if you've read anything of his or every book that you pick of his, you're going to find this somewhere in there. Um, he talks about the idea of God's goodness and God's grace. And God's goodness and grace, it always leads us to this invitation of fresh starts and new beginnings. God's grace doesn't leave us where we were. God's grace brings us into a fresh start. God's grace brings us into the opportunity, invites us into new beginnings. And so if we were to take that and put it in here, if you're a leader in your home and you have this sense that, that something needs to change, you have an opportunity to lead your family or to lead people around you into fresh starts and, and new beginnings. But it's got to start with you. If there's a desire to see some type of spiritual climate change in your home, I'm going to tell you it, where it has to start. It has to start on your knees before God. It has to start in this humble, this humble position of, Lord, I see you for who you are. I see me for who I am, and I am bowed down before you. I'm on my knees before you, and I'm aware of your awesome power. You are God. I am not. Your way is better. My way is not your way. And we confess before you, God, the main thing has not been the main thing in my life. And this is the part that's really difficult. Lord, I'm sorry sorry. The main thing hasn't been the main thing, and I'm sorry for that. And then what happens is we walk forward in the grace and the mercy of God, and we lead our families out of that place and into a fresh start from of grace and God's mercy and a place of renewal. This is what Haggai was calling the people back to. Now, if you're, maybe you're not a leader in, you don't feel like you're supposed to be the spiritual leader in your house. If the spiritual leader in your house isn't doing the job of being the spiritual leader, you take that lead. You go there. You, you lead into this place, and maybe you're not a leader um, in, in that sense, but you just feel like, man, I'm just one of the 50,000. 
I'm one of the remnant who, who's hanging around here. And so I'm at school or I'm at work and I've got my friend groups. I'm going to tell you what, it starts in the same place with you too. It starts on our knees before God. I am aware of your awesome power. You are God. I am not. Your way is better. And I confess, we confess before God, the main thing has not been the main thing. And I'm sorry. And then we walk out of a place of grace and mercy and forgiveness, and we walk into a place of new beginnings and fresh starts. And if you've been bucking against God, and you've just been stiff-arming him, and you've been running as fast as you can, this is an invitation. As we read Haggai, this is an invitation to a fresh start for you. If you don't know Jesus, this is an invitation to know who Jesus is. If you've been walking with Jesus, but you've been hitting some bumpy roads along, this is an invitation to a fresh start and a new to experience his grace and his mercy anew. And when we respond to God, there's something significant that happens. Look at verse 13. When the people respond to God, Haggai, verse 13, the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And here's what God says. He says, I am with you declares the Lord. When they responded in obedience, they got to hear these four fantastic words. I am with you. Go ahead and underline those words or circle them. If you're writing on something, write those words down. I am with you. I believe with all my heart, there's probably no four, there's probably no greater combination of four words that could ever be written when it's in relation to who God is. I am with you. And immediately, as Judah would hear these words, they would, be identified, they would identify all the times that God had said throughout history, I am with you, I won't forsake you. I am with you, I won't forsake you. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. They're going to identify with this. Do you guys remember the story when Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt and the people experienced the great power of God, right? And so they're, they're on their way out of Egypt, and now Moses is, is up on the mountain, and he's talking with God, and there's this great face-to-face conversation going on. And Moses is excited about taking the law that he's receiving from God back down the mountain so that the people who have been called to be set apart from God know how to relate to God and know how to relate to the people around him. He can't wait to get back down the mountain. He doesn't want to leave God, but he can't wait to get back down to, to lead the people on, down the mountain. And so he's excited. He comes back down the mountain. He's got tablets in hand. But when he comes down the mountain, there's something going on that he did not expect. There's a group of people, the whole nation of Israel is down here, and they're creating and engaging in these gross sexual sins all around the base of the mountain. And not only that, but they're worshiping these golden calves. There's idol worship that's going down. And Moses, who was excited, is all like, are you kidding? Like, I was up, and you were down. What is going on? What is happening here? And he takes these tablets that God just gave him and he throws them down on the ground and they break and he's like, God, what do I do here? What do I do now? Nobody's listening to you. Nobody loves you. I'm just dealing with a bunch of stiff-necked people out here. And God is like, look, go ahead and lead these people, these stiff-necked people into the promised land. But I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. But what do you mean? You're not going with me. This could have been the worst words that Moses ever heard in his life. God, what do you mean you're not going with me? Because this would have struck a terror in him like, like nothing else. To try to take one step forward without God with him, Moses would have been like, are you kidding me? And this is exactly what Moses does. He's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. 
I'm going to sit right here until you promise you're going with us. And so it's almost like he just like cross legs and sits down on the ground like, I'm not moving. He stages a sit-in right there at the base of the mountain. I'm not moving until you come along with us. And then the God says, okay, I'm, I'm going to go along with you. I will come with you. And to hear the words, I'm with you, should be the greatest words that we could ever hear from God. And if that's true, it should strike the greatest fear inside of us to try to live our lives without the presence of God apart. If the greatest words that we can ever hear, I'm with you. The worst words I feel like we could ever hear is, I'm not with you. And after all the sin of Haggai and all the sin that you see in uh, the day of Moses, and after all the sin we look around and we see ourselves in, God's promise was still, if you turn to me, I'll be with you. If you turn to me, I'm going to be with you. And these words were a promise that were set aflame by the grace of God that were offering fresh starts and new beginnings. You'll never have to be alone because I am with you. And so when you read the New Testament, it's still God's call. I want to be with you. I desire to be with you. That's who Jesus was. And that's who Jesus is. We celebrate that around Christmas time, right? He is the Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God in the flesh. He says, I am with you. And so when we obey and we experience this walk with the Lord, we get to feel the nearness and experience the closeness of God. When we obey God, we experience the nearness of God. Look at verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. God is at work moving behind the scenes, and he's stirring up the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. What did they do? They worked. They got busy on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. There is an emergency call. Do the work that God has called us to do. And Israel or Judah had a response. They had an opportunity to respond. And what they respond with is repentance, refocusing their attention on their first love, the greatest priority, and just the absolute refusal to quit once they started building. As we've, we've said at the beginning of, of this series last week, that what we want to do is we want to engage in this text. We want to experience this text together as a family. So we're going to read and we're going to listen to what God has for us and we're going to respond to this. One of the things that we want to do this week is uh, we're going to send out a family devotional uh, here, uh, the back end of Monday or on Tuesday. We're going to send it out. So if you don't have uh, the app uh, yet, uh, make sure that you download it and you make sure you get uh, notifications turned on because we're going to send that out and you'll be alerted that that's out. And what we want to do is we want to lead you to lead your families. If you've got anybody that you're leading inside of your house, that you would walk through this together as a family, that we would dive deeply into the book together, and, and that we, if there are moments in our house where we just get to say, you know what, God? The main thing hasn't been the main thing in my life, that we bend our knee to the one who is so much greater than I, so much greater than us. We bow our knee to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. The main thing hasn't been the main thing. And what, a, what an opportunity 
to lead your family. If you don't get to live in the quarters of family, but you live in a dorm or you live in an apartment with friends and family, do this together as a family. What a better, what, what a great way to just simply say, Lord, we're going to put ourselves under your authority. We are going to be obedient to you and we're going to walk forward with what you have us to walk forward with. And, and so as we watch Judah respond, my prayer is that we would respond in the same way. That we have this emergency call from the Lord. And we're like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Would you pray with me? Father, your word never sits void. You say that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword and it's able to pierce between joint and marrow and it's able to divide and it's able to reveal the intentions of our heart. And that's what I'm praying for myself and my family this week. I'm praying this for our church family this week, that we would dive into your word and you would cut and you would slice and you would expose and you would um, lead us to a place where we are under the authority of your word, that you would speak clearly to us and we would respond to you, God. And so as we walk with you this week and, and, and as you reveal things to us, God, I pray that you would give us the humility to say, Lord, I'm sorry. That we would walk in your grace and your mercy, but realize that your grace calls us back to fresh starts and new beginnings. Father, that in Jesus we are completely new and we are in the family, but a life of obedience is where we experience you the best. And so where we need change, lead us to that place. Where we need to lead in our families, Father, I pray that we would step up into those places. Where we need to lead in our, our communities, that you would lead us to that place. Let us respond to you however you would lead us this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.